well, well. Uh, we've got a special guest today. Um, Jason Hill, you are a uh, professor of philosophy at DePaul University and uh, the author of some <clears throat> pretty interesting stuff, including your latest book, What Do White Americans Owe Black People, Racial Justice, and the Age of Post-Oppression. Uh, how's it going? Going pretty well. I, I just jumped off of a class um, on evil, becoming evil, how do ordinary people become evil, mm. to be here with you. So that's great. I'm glad to share this moment yeah yeah that's uh uh so tell me you, you've got a pretty had a pretty interesting life here um tell me a little bit about your background uh where you're from and how you got here well i was born and raised in jamaica and i uh, came here in 1985 at the age of 20 um to basically i really came here to be a, no- a novelist and mm-hmm. a poet you know that was my dream to be a, a full-time writer and, and to do a phd in philosophy so I came here at the age of 20 um, with $120 in my pocket. And my, I, hadn't yet, I landed and got a green card. So I came with a green card, a legal immigrant. And um, with uh, my mother and my grandmother and my brother who came to give moral support. And uh, my mother thought I was too young to, to be coming. So she wanted to give moral support. So I came here ready to get a college education and, um, and to pursue a life as uh, a, a, a then I decided I wanted to be a professor, a philosopher, and a, a writer. So I did up my came to Atlanta and did a degree, two degrees in philosophy and literature. And um, then I had to work up to four jobs to put myself through school. Mm-hmm. Got a got a scholarship to do my PhD in philosophy at Purdue, and um, just fell in love with America from when I was a child. You know, I just always loved this great republic. Thought it was the most unprecedented phenomenon that God had ever created. And wanted to be an American from when I was very, very young and um, got my PhD in 1998. And I've been a professor um, ever since um, and have taken it as my vocation now, not just to be a professor, but a public intellectual and to, to save the American dream. Because I think that this country has been subjected to a lot of America phobia and there are people who want to take us down. And part of my new vocational calling as a writer and a public intellectualist, it is to try to do my best to save this republic from the evildoers who, who are out to, to destroy this republic. <clears throat> now, when you say evildoers, I know uh, I, I've read some of your work before. Um, you refer to uh, uh, some certain groups uh, in the intelligentsia as, as uh, black nihilists or liberal nihilists, stuff like that, people who... Uh, you know, seem to it, it's it's almost as if <clears throat> they have this argument, but it's rooted in a fatalistic like we can't. There's nothing we can do about this. We're like a permanent almost victimhood, right? And yes. that's that's something that you've like rejected in your practice and your liter and your and your writing for quite some time now. Um, <clears throat> first, I'll say that <clears throat> people who uh, leave places that are aren't great and show up here uh obviously have a, a quite a bit of different perspective than people who begin here and never face any real hardship i mean it's um it, it's very it's this whole debate over the last 15 years or so has been really interesting to me how uh there's been a push by the by academia and and, and other folks uh to recognize others lived experience as uh not anecdotal but like empirical evidence you know what I mean? And that's not really reality. But they seem to be, I, I guess, in my opinion, they seem to be wanting on doing the same thing for people like you, first-generation Americans, who have seen really bad shit somewhere, right? Or, or, and it's not just, uh, you know, the people have come here from certainly from worse places than Jamaica. Jamaica's not that bad. But, uh, like, people have come here and struggled to get here and come here like you, you know, with nothing, and, and built a life of their own because that's what we do here. And, uh, like, how does that, <clears throat> as a philosopher, how do you quantify that? Cause I know you, a lot of what you do is talk about how people think, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like elucidate mm-hmm. how people think. So what, what's the, like, how, how do you communicate with people like that? Who, who think that in their cushy life, they're experiencing something quite a bit more difficult or they're just seeing things through such a different lens than somebody who's actually gone through quite a bit of actual difficulty. 
Well, I just I point out the hypocrisy of it all, really. I think I what I say is that they have these framing narratives that have nothing to do with reality, right? It's 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 all about power and it's all about creating a victim, a victim narrative that allows them to exercise, to become a managerial class and lord it over people to deny those people of their creative agency. So if you look at the left and what the left has done to this country in terms of black people, they've basically Black people are very resilient people during slavery, during Jim Crow. They have striven for success. They have built communities. They've built schools. They've built hotels. A rich history of entrepreneurship among Blacks in this country from slavery, post-slavery, during the worst periods of Jim Crow before the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Mm. And you'll, 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 right? And that story is left out of the, the, the narrative of, of, of Black people predominantly by the left. Conservatives, I find, celebrate the history, rich history of Blacks. But you've got these, these Black victimologists who create a narrative of nothing but victimhood, that America is intrinsically bigoted, that it's in our political DNA to keep Black people down, that Black people are outside the American dream. So what I do is I show up the hypocrisy. I point to the facts. I point to the, the rich history during the Harlem Renaissance, for example, but even going back to the the slavery and after slavery of blacks who have made it in this country, who, who have a record of success and achievement, and that there is a mismatch between the narrative that they are creating. And they're creating this narrative for a couple of reasons. One is to expropriate the agency of black people, to tell them that you're nothing without a managerial liberal class that will take care of you, that will give you welfare checks, that you can't use your creative agents to solve problems. Mm. It's all about buying votes and it's all about controlling the minds of people and making them into, turning them into children, helpless children. And so someone like myself comes along who has never been a victim, will never be a victim. It's just not part of my makeup to be a victim. And they can't make sense of me because the, the narratives don't match. I mean, I lived in the deep south for eight years. I lived, actually lived in Ku Klux Klan County because mm. it was just, it was cheap to live there. So I lived among Klansmen. I've taught Klan, Klan students in, 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 the, in the cornfields of Indiana and Southern Illinois and have never considered myself a victim. So I've, I've navigated among various subgroups of America. And when I talk about my experiences and how I've dealt with, you know, I've had my share of dealing with racism um, that it's not from a victim-centered point of view, that I take control of the situation, I deal with it head on. So I think, I wanna, how I, to answer your question, I just, I show up the hypocrisy, I show that there is a narrative out there and then there are the experiences, the actual experiences of black people that do not constitute a monolithic group. Mm. You see, they speak as if blacks are just this one monolithic group and we're all helpless victims trampling under the foot of the white man who's there to get us. That's another thing. It's a kind of inverse racism, right? If, you're, if your skin color is white, right. then you're automatic racist and you have white privilege. Yeah, that's really bizarre to me uh, how... It, I mean, we talk about it here a lot because <clears throat> I like to have uh, difficult, difficult conversations uh, because, you know, they're necessary. And uh, I really... It, it's really odd to me that the the position of frequently the position of the left is that certain groups of people in our society are completely incapable of like finding a job or finding an attorney to start a business or getting ID to vote. And you know what I mean? That's we we've heard about that a lot. It started with, uh, affirmative action back in the day, this phrase, uh, uh, the racism of lowered expectations, I guess, or the prejudice of lowered expectations. Bigotry that, of low expectations. Yeah, bigotry. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's been a pretty common theme. Um, man, it's it's so bizarre to me that that would be the uh, that that would be the 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 hill that you die on, right? Like this huge issue that we have in our country, and there is a huge issue, but <clears throat> I want to talk more about it. You do a lot of work on this. So I want to go through some of the paces of what got us here today, right? So from the Atlantic slave trade to present, and then a lot of the things that happened through that period, right? I think it's, I think it's good to establish a little bit of background before we get into 
your uh, premise in the book about uh, what do white people owe um, black Americans and so forth. So <clears throat> can you walk me through, uh, from, from your perspective, look, uh, the, the Caribbean sugar trade was a big part of this, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's, and a, a quite a bit of it in your home country. So I wonder if you might take me through some of the like key points in history that you think were inflection points, uh, for, for us to get to where we are today. Well, one of the major points I make in my book is that, look, and there's a chapter called How the African Made Himself to a Slave, is that what's also left out of the history books is the huge collusion among Arabs, Africans, and European explorers. That is the slave trade, and Henry Louis Gates, the African-American professor at Harvard, made the point that 90% of the slave trade was done, was facilitated between blacks and white, white White, except white slave trade mm. traders. That is, this Europe, the slave trade would not have gotten off the ground unless Africans had engaged in kidnapping, raids, and, and facilitated this trade. I mean, we have this idea that Europeans arrived on the shores of Africa and mm. just like r run roughshod over the, the continent and kidnapped these Africans. So there is, the Africans were complicit in the slave trade to begin with. They lacked the technological superiority of the Europeans, because in some sense they failed to uh, abstract themselves from nature and failed to um, build a technological civilization that could protect themselves from European encroachment. So they facilitated the slave trade. So there's equal blame to go around. I mean, if people are going to talk about reparations, we, then they should talk about reparations from sub-Saharan African countries, out of which the slave trade arose. Then the so the slave trade was slavery was horrific. America was born with a birth defect, which inherited from the British. Mm -hmm. And and what most people don't really talk about is that the miraculous thing is that it, it was historically speaking, given the ubiquity of slavery and how it existed in since antiquity, how short a period of time between the Declaration of Independence and the emancipation of slavery that was comparatively speaking. You know, slavery existed in Egypt for thousands of years. Right. I mean, it's, right? it's, it's existed everywhere for thousands of years, right? For thousands of years, yeah. right? And given the, so given the 1776 founding of this country, the Declaration of Independence, and the emancipation of slavery during the, after the Civil War, that's a very short period of time. And America deserves credit for that. Um, so a civil war was fought. And I argue that that, that was the first reparative gesture mm. um, that was made towards towards blacks, that is thousands of both black and white soldiers died to, to, to free the slaves. And um, the next great, that was our second founding. And the next great founding, third founding of this country was the 64 Civil Rights Act, which I actually called a, a eugenical moment in America because it not only granted blacks full equality before the law, it told racist white people that you can't use your business as an extension of your living room or as an extension of your sovereign body. Right. We're, we're going to turn you into non-racists. We're going to make the practice of ra private racism illegal, which is a form of social eugenics, right? So it, it was a violation of property rights. I argue in the book a, a reasonable violation given the collusion between the state and private citizens. That is, that is the state had actually made racists out of non-racist people by these laws that, that prevented capitalism from really flourishing, which sees no color. So that's the great founding of the third great founding of this country. And then we have the great society, the war on poverty, which is, I think, which began the downfall of blacks in this country under President right. Johnson. I mean, it, 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 the, uh, you know, it, it's almost like uh, never let a good tragedy go to waste kind of situation. <laughs> you know, the media likes to do that. And, and poli it's, it's not just politicians. We think of... <clears throat> politicians in their form today is like a, a, a transient group that, uh, you know, people come in and out of it, although there are some, a lot of long-term people, but this is just patrician behavior, right? In a different form of government. It's been going on since the, the beginning of humanity. Anytime, like, uh, think, think about first century Rome, the second triumvirate, uh, Mark Antony is in Egypt and he is, uh, he's stopping wheat uh, shipments from going to Rome because he wants to instigate a war with uh, with uh, who would who would become Augustus, um, and it worked, right? I mean, it's it was a they they used the food shortage to instigate a war, and 
man, it seems like a lot of that stuff goes on. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand how, maybe it's just a failure on conservatives part, uh, but I don't understand how they didn't recapture that narrative when L, when LBJ started these massive entitlement programs mm-hmm. that were very clearly designed to get black people just high enough where there's some progress so they can get their vote, but not high enough that they have actual upward mobility, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious even at the time. And man, I never, I, I don't understand why that was never uh, 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 a talking point for Republicans. You know what I mean? Maybe they didn't care. Maybe it was still some kind of subtle <clears throat> racism. Maybe they thought that the black vote was impossible to get anyways. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, was uh, extremely damaging to the black community over the last 40 years or so, right? I think so. And I think, to answer your question, I think the conservatives, uh, many conservatives, many people were sort of um, covering up a sense of guilt mm. that they had felt. So the war on poverty, the Great Society program, which destroyed the black family, mm. family which, which disincentivized so many black fathers from being fathers and, 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 and married the, the black women to the state, to the mm. state becomes a surrogate husband of that's the really black. Good, that's a really good the, point. So you're right, it becomes a surrogate husband of the emasculating black men, disincentivizing them from taking care of their families, breaking up the, the family structure. Uh, incidentally, the out of wedlock birth rate rose from, you know, it was 20, 22% at, at 1960, after 1968, and today it's still 74% mm. of African-American children born out of wedlock. And that's very deeply correlated to poverty. A lot of whites, I think, just felt guilty. And, and, and felt embarrassed at the retrospective embarrassment that the public blacks had been treated rather than say, look, there's so there's just so far that a free, a free republic can go in terms of bringing blacks fully called before the law before we start transgressing on the rights of people and then we become a totalitarian state. Right. right? And, I mean, it's and and. and it counterintuitive to the way this country was formed in the first place. Right now. I mean, obviously we had some issues, uh, from the birth, but what we wrote down, the principles that we believed in were that individual liberty mattered and that we should prioritize solving problems at the lowest possible level. That's what the ninth and 10th amendments are about. Right. So, uh, all of a sudden, maybe it's just mission creep. Uh, I I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't always, like to imply malice. Sometimes things just get away from people, I guess. But uh, the idea that the state knows better than you is not a new mm-hmm. one. It's not. It's mm-hmm. not unique to the to the United States. It's not unique unique to the West. It's not unique uh, unique to like the the last thousand years. Even I mean, that's always been the case, right? Um, so we we've man. I feel like. Um, Gender theory and critical race theory are sociological answers to uh, biological and historical questions, right? Which is not, you wouldn't do that in any other field. Like there's no, you wouldn't get a literary answer to a math problem. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's very basic common sense. But the fallacy is, is the standard in academia right now, right? To teach it that way. And I feel like we've really done ourselves, I mean, public education has been in trouble for a while, but we've really done ourselves a disservice in laying that foundation. So now we're, we're stuck with the, and you know it better than most because you're, a, you're a, in academia, you're a professor. <clears throat> How much time do you have to spend deprogramming bad ideas out of people at this point? Well, unfortunately, you can't because our universities have become cults. You know, they're no longer learning centers. They're no longer places where you impart objective knowledge. Mm. They've, become, they've become cults. They've become bastions of indoctrination. They've become indoctrination centers for far-left, kooky, no, not even kooky, far-left Marxist teachings to usher this country, and I'll say this, into not even a, what one would call a democratic socialist country, into mm. a, communist, a communist country. Our universities, and I've been a professor for 25 years, because I, t- including the years that I taught as a graduate student, mm. 
as I've been a teacher of in university 25 years, it our universities are indoctrination centers that has as its sole mission to brainwash these children because they really are children when you think about it, their brains are still developing mm-hmm. into becoming left-wing Marxists. One of the reasons I wrote this book is because I think this whole notion of what do white people or black people in terms of reparations is just a very slick way of using reparations to expand the welfare state. We mm. cost this country $14 trillion to expand the welfare state by trading on white guilt and profiteering on any kind of black suffering in order to introduce socialism into this country without ever actually solving any of the problems. Right. So one of the, one of the uh, themes of the book is not, not only should we not like it's what do white Americans owe whatever is not even the right question to be asking. Right. Like that's that's, one of the, I I read a book called uh, between Barack and a hard place. I think the guy's name is uh, fuck. What is it? Tim something or other, Tim Weiss, I think his name is. And it was about how <clears throat> um, he kind of goes through some of the history of of race relations, particularly in America. Um, like the economists estimate that um, something like a trillion dollars was robbed out of the black community through not paying wages for slavery. Uh, he, he makes the point that 80 plus percent of all wealth is transferred from one generation to the next, meaning inheritances or uh, equity in a business or a home or property, whatever it is. Right. And then he he tells this story about how when he was going to college at LSU, somebody had made a big pot of gumbo. Right. And uh, he didn't make it. He didn't even eat any of it, but uh, they just left it there. And it just kind of started to stink after a while. Right. It was getting rancid. It's like, well, at, at some point you have to realize that it doesn't really matter who caused this problem. We've got a problem to fix. And that's, that's a, uh, uh, just being a good roommate or being a good person. But you, when you map that on to politics and just the welfare of human beings in our country right now, people, these bad, I consider them bad actors, these bad actors who take advantage of that situation and try to use it towards some political end. That's, that's about the worst way you can manage that situation. I mean, at least have the, uh, I I say this in jest sometimes, but at least conservatives had the decency to ignore the problem and not make it worse. Um, uh, But, but what is the right question? I mean, uh, uh, one of the quotes, one of the phrases I like to use is the only color that matters in this country is green. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see Will Smith going to jail, for example, right, for slapping somebody in front of millions of people like he can commit assault in front of millions of people. And it's fine because he's rich. So if this isn't the right question, what is the right question? Well, in some sense, you know, that is the right question, because that is a question that presupposes the 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 whole is- reparations mm-hmm. issue. So I, I deliberately use that as a provocative question. Mm-hmm. The, a, a, a more apt title would have been how the left is using reparations to usher in <laughs> yeah. so, so, socialism right, into yeah. this country, yeah. right? But it's it's the question that presupposes the notion that reparations is a tenable and even morally, I think it's unethical, but a morally uh, uh, agenda on the part of, of, of the left. Yeah. Um, so the, the answer, I mean, and, and I, I wrote the book to give people both black and white some kind of intellectual ammunition against, because reparations is making its way through, H.R. Ford is making its way through Congress. Mm. It's, 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 it's almost law now in California. Yep. And um, so it's going to be the next big thing in the, next, in the com- upcoming elections. And Americans are not going to be able to escape it at all. Um, and it's the, the underlying question is really, yeah, white people owe black people something. And, you know, part, I'm not going to give up with the answer because that will, disincentivize people from buying the book. But but um but you know there are lots of things that we owe each other as human beings. And and one of the premises that I want to emphasize here is that America was founded on political equality, mm. not economic equality. And this whole reparations movement is meant to establish equity which is a form of socialism really, because we're not all equal. We're not equal in intelligence. We're not equal in athletic prowess. And this notion that 
equality between the races is a goal is is is, is untenable. We don't even have equality intraracially because we have different values, we have different talents, we have different aptitudes. Mm. How do you how do you redistribute values? How do you how do you redistribute talents, and and so on and so forth? So it's really meant to give people ammunition and to inoculate them against the onslaughts that are going to occur when these reparationists get their way in power. So um, I think I think that's probably the right question, uh, and 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 the answer is is forthcoming is is in the book. There are various answers mm. that reparations have already been made. In, and I and I spell out how the reparative moments were made in this country, and whites really have done can't go beyond what they've done if we value freedom and liberty in this country as preeminent values. Right? I mean, there are just certain inconveniences that we're going to have to live with. And let me say one thing else. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of reducing every single disparity, every single asymmetry between the races whether it's hypertension, whether it's obesity, whether it's diabetes, to racism, causally linking it to racism, is such malarkey. You know, it's just it's this blanket trope mm. that people on the left use as a weapon over mostly white white people. That if I'm if I'm overweight or if I've got diabetes or if I if I consume too much sugar, that's what the 1619 project is all mm-hmm. about, right? then it has to be causally traceable back to racism. And that's how they give the reparations movement its its moral justification. That uh, because processed foods are cheaper, <laughs> right? That's racist, yeah. I guess. I, I don't know. That's, that's, yeah. Yes. That's a, that's a pretty – I mean, there's, a, there's quite a few uh, rural white people who are – quite obese as well. If you don't believe me, come here to Texas. There's quite a bit. <laughs> Actually, San Antonio is, I think, the fattest city on earth by population. I think it's the fattest city on earth. Um, <clears throat> so I want to, one of the common uh, beliefs held by most people about reparations is uh, that there might be some kind of uh, redistribution, some kind of amount paid from the government of the United States to individuals in the country, right? Uh, Now, can you tell me why that's a bad idea? I mean, I I know why it's a bad idea. I just want to hear it from your perspective, why you think that's a bad idea. Well, look, there are two things to consider. Um, I think, like, during the Japanese internment, there are people who lost property because properties were confiscated from them, and, and they could ostensibly point to properties that were confiscated and they were given reparations. Right. So if they're black, and there have been a few cases in, in, in Mississippi and, and other southern states where it was shown that through certain laws passed by under Jim Crow, that blacks were deprived of uh, generationally passing on properties. Those those individuals uh, are due reparations administered through the courts of law. Mm-hmm. But the idea that Obama's children that the the, the upper, a surgeon a surgeon who is a millionaire that his children are equally deserving of reparations as someone from the south side of Chicago is absolutely ludicrous. Mm. Uh, this idea that somehow every single person equally uh, is a victim of sy- systemic racism is problematic. Because reparations, I think, is predicated on the idea that systemic racism suffuses every institution in our country. Mm-hmm. Now, I challenge that. I think that that used to be the case. Uh, there was a time when systemic racism suffused our institutions. We have moved on. That is not the case. America is no longer, there are individual white supremacists, but America is no longer a white supremacist country. We do not have an ideology that prioritizes the white race. Mm-hmm any longer as a superior race. So that's that's out the window. Um, so all the premises on which reparations are predicated that systemic racism suffuses every institution so the residual effects of slavery continue to haunt and disfigure Black lives uh, is completely untenable. Mm. So reparations really falls on, uh, on, empty, on empty claims because it really rests on this notion that Systemic racism suffuses 
our institutions, and B, that all white persons, this is the next claim that they make, that all white persons, by virtue of having white skin, have white privilege conferred on them. As I've said in an article, I don't know, I've taught kids, white kids in from Appalachia who have had no teeth, mm. no running water. I fail to see how someone from Appalachia who is white with no health care, no access to clean water, with tooth teeth missing, how that person has any kind of white privilege that prioritizes him or her over someone such as myself who has, I have five, I ended up getting five college degrees. Mm. Um, I, I'm middle class. I have a great income. I write five, I've written five books. That You see what I'm saying? The yeah. idea is just ludicrous to unilaterally say that every white person has the same amount of white privilege and that by virtue of having that white privilege, they are a walking practitioner of racism. So the untenability of, of reparations lies on its false and dubious underlying claims, which just are empirically false. And besides, I think it would just create a kind of, some kinds of divisiveness are healthy, right? I don't want to be on the same side of a communist. Right. But some forms of divisiveness are unhealthy. And I think reparations would divide this country so deeply in a way that's unnecessary. So if the underlying claims themselves were true, that yes, America is systemically racist and we have to fight that, then that's a form of divisiveness that we should face. But given that all the underlying claims, I think, are so false, it would divide this country in a way that would be truly, truly tragic. All right, Mr. Hill, we got some ads we got to run here to keep this on the air. Uh, right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and adjustable base uh, or 30% off everything else if you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. You can get a mattress for like 35 bucks a month, zero down, zero financing plan up to 60 months. Check them out, ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Again, if you're in the market for uh, uh, an adjustable base, and a mattress, adjustable base, like a bed frame you can put around it. It's, it, it's, I've got the King. It comes in two foldable, uh, uh, adjustable base platforms and you just fold them out inside of your, uh, your bed frame. You throw your mattress on top of that and, and there you go. It's super easy to do. Uh, they're not very hard to move with or anything like that. If you're worried about that and you know, vibrates. It's got a light on the bottom, book mode, all that stuff you've heard us talk about. So go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros. If you need everything else, sheets, pillows, mattress protectors, mattress covers, they got all that too. And uh, you'll get 30% off all that. So go to uh, ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros. Get them deals. Next up is Simply Safe. Um, it keeps you simply safe. Get it? Uh, what do U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science have in common? They all rank Simply Safe Home Security as the best home security of 2021. Uh, in fact, they just named it the best home security of 2022 as well. Uh, if you haven't seen the video of uh, Dakota installing one in his home, it's like it takes like 15 minutes. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it says, yeah, it says uh, 30 minutes in the ad copy here, but. It takes like 15 minutes to set this whole system up. Uh, protects your home around the clock. Uh, every door, every window, every room. It's backed by the best 24-7 professional monitoring in the business. Um, comprehensive set of sensors and cameras, including all-new wireless outdoor security camera. Uh, so you always know what's going on inside and outside of your home. Uh, you can see everything through your smartphone, just like you know all the best security uh, cameras. Never a long-time contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free to see if you like it. So if you don't, send it back. No hard feelings. Um, you can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes by going to simplysafe.com slash American Party. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with the interactive, uh, uh, 20% off of the interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash American Party. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E.com. Slash American Party. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, and I also agree with the underlying condition uh, being, or I'm sorry, the underlying motive here from, from these leftists is to institute some kind of socialism, right? I mean, it seems like it. Otherwise, you don't, you don't, you don't do things like this unless that's your goal. That's right. 
So that's what. Yeah. No, continue, please. No, no, you go. Yeah, I, was, I agree with you. Yeah, uh, yeah it's just I. People are afraid to say that that's that's their goal, I guess, in the left, or maybe. You know, you should be very suspicious of anybody who's trying to do something, but they won't say specifically what it is they're trying to do. You know what I mean? I mean that, that's yeah. a, that's, that is always a bad sign. Uh, just don't worry about it. We got you. And it's this, uh, uh, this attitude that the state somehow knows better than I do how to live my life mm-hmm. is something that has been uniquely rejected by America from its inception. Mm-hmm. And... Now you have, and, it, and it's so bizarre that it's this group of people. It's this boomer generation who spent the 70s uh, going crazy on experimental drugs and protesting everything, and now they are agents of the state telling people mm-hmm. to surrender their agency to the state. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't, know, if we've, I don't know if we've seen something like this before. In, uh, like it, what, what other civilization in human history... <clears throat> plenty of civilizations have been taken advantage of by a patrician class, but what other civilization went from, uh, mm-hmm. well, let, let's use uh, uh, Rage Against the Machine, the band, as an example here. What other civilization in the course of 20 years went, or 25 years went from, uh, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, to fuck you, do what they tell you, right? Like it, that, that, that is so bizarre to me. It's like everybody's hypnotized somehow. It's well. I tell you, it started. I I think the demise started, and I I have a whole chapter in the book about this. It started with the, the lot of the dark side of the civil rights movement that I talk about. There was a, a bright and and a side that was oriented towards justice, that is emancipating black people from from legal oppression. It started with the the nihilism that started in our university campuses with the creation of these black studies programs, women's studies, queer studies, Chicano studies, post-colonial studies, all these advocacy, or what I call in the book, revolutionary studies programs, right? That had as their goal, the destruction of Western civilization, the destruction of capitalism, the criminalization of reason and logic, the assault against an objective reality, they, these these activists that encroached in our universities in the late 1960s and were granted sovereignty and autonomy were, no, talk about systemic nihilists. It's a cult of nihilism. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing the chickens have come home to roost, you know, in the whole notion of defunding, decolonizing the academy, um, uh, accusing the academy of, of, of propagating ideas by racist, imperialist white men, um, we, this is, this is, this is the fallout of what happened in the 1960s when you had a bunch of nihilists that replaced scholarship and deep learning with activism and advocacy. Mm-hmm. And the results today are taking over crippling. And so you criminalize critical thinking, you criminalize reason, logic, and call them the constructs of imperialist white men. And what you have are a bunch of individuals who are snowflakes. All they do are they offer up their feelings and their sense of being offended. Mm. And we use that as criteria for, you know, adjudicating among truth claims. And instead of using logic, reason, evidence, everybody's experiences and everybody's feelings are what matter. And uh, we're, we're in a crisis right now because this country is under attack by these, these radical left-wing, you can't even call them progressives in the true sense of the world. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're nihilists, right? And they, they hate capitalism. They hate, they hate America for being a good country. Uh, they hate America for being successful. And it's interesting that they use critical race theory because critical race theory and reparations really go hand in hand because if you can sort of, if you can, indict all white people as inherently evil and racist by virtue of having white skin. And then if you can everybody's guilty then, right? Everybody's everybody's yeah. guilty. And then by yeah. by by an inverse kind of reasoning, all black people then are victims. Right. Right. And deserve you see where the moral how the moral argument works. Oof. That's why you you've got to attack critical race theory and uh and def- and, and really defang it um, because it gives reparations 
its moral justification. Yeah, and I, these people these people are very clever. They are very clever. I mean, it's but it's again, it comes back to what I said before. Uh, they there is a uh, concerted effort by the media and by academia to and, and by a lot of politicians to deny that CRT exists at all much less it, that it's being taught in schools and stuff like that. But they deny that it's like, can you even define what critical race theory is? Like, yeah, actually I can, because I know who Karl Marx is. And the, the fact that these people refuse to admit that that's what they're doing, again, brings up what I said before. <clears throat> if somebody has, if somebody's on this train and they're making moves, like if somebody's over there with a key trying to put it inside of my door lock, I'm assuming that they're trying to get into my home, right? That's a pretty, that's a pretty reasonable assumption to make. When I see folks, we, we've gone from teaching people how to think. That's what primary education used to be, right? Uh, we went from teaching people how to think to trying to program people what to think, which is a, it, that's a big problem. It's a big problem that not, not just in the fact that people are getting, uh, uh, programmed and groomed to believe certain things it's it's an even bigger problem that we are we have become incapable of actually solving any kind of problem because people lack critical thinking now now the next time a big problem comes up we've uh, not only can we not think anymore but people are losing faith in all these institutions that are supposed to be arbiters of reality that's right i mean that's right and you know you said something about what about fixing problems one of the things that attracts me to America is that Americans are problem solvers. Mm. They fix things. And one of the things that I'm seeing in academia and I'm seeing in this country is just, I mean, in fact, my next book is going to be, um, uh, uh, it's called, well, I should tell you, Man Haters, Toxic Femininity and the, and the Assault of American Men. Mm. Because I think uh, one of the pernicious and nefarious things that's going on in this country is the attack against masculinity. Mm. Right. And the attack against any attempt to fix problems and it's our civilization is a man-made. I mean, and I mean that seriously, Mm. a mostly male constructed civilization that where the dirt and the dirty work of maintaining that civilization from cleaning the skyscrapers to tarring the streets are done by men. And there's a, a concerted effort to attack masculinity, to attack men in this country who are the I'm not saying women are not participants in this, but the problem solvers. Um, So to cripple, you know, you see early on to cripple all the agents, the actors, the good actors who are the problem solvers, to call them toxic, not just the behaviors of men that are bad, but the expression of any kind of masculinity as toxic, as a way of paralyzing this country. And you paralyze the country, you hold it hostage, you make it ripe for a socialist takeover, um, which includes crippling people's minds. So it's, it's, there's a method, there's a method to all of, everything sort of comes together into an integrated comprehensive whole. Mm. You know, there are no disparate, none of this is disparate and, and, and unrelatable. They're all, they all come into an intelligible, when you sit down and look at critical race theory, mm. reparations, the attack against masculinity, um, the assault against young boys in schools um, that should be rambunctious and the way we sort of neuter young boys from a very early age, um, the move to, to, to non-gender children. Um, and this is all well thought out, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but it just makes logical sense mm. when you look at the ultimate aims of what these leftists are up to. Sure. I mean, my expertise is uh, warfare, like literal warfare. So I, when I see something like this, uh, I, I try to map it out of my brain as if it was some kind of military operation, right? Like a, a, a campaign of some sort. And um, when I see uh, the intelligentsia and politics and the media and this coordinated effort to uh, destabilize and mm-hmm. sometimes eliminate but certainly weaken the institutions that protect us, right? Like, so critical thought is a really important thing. Not just, mm-hmm. not, not just for liberty's sake, but again, to, to solve the problems that arise in our, in our universe, whether they be sociological, psychological, or, or economic, or whatever, right? Acts, mm-hmm. of, acts of nature, whatever it is. Very important. But <clears throat> the other institutions that have been 
under attack for some time now. It started with the military back in the day, right, in the 1970s mm-hmm. during Vietnam, as if they chose to, to draft themselves mm-hmm. and deploy themselves to Vietnam. Like everybody, I, I, people were protesting actual soldiers and not the government. It's very, mm-hmm. That's very bizarre, right? And there had to be some messaging behind that. Uh, uh, fast forward to the last five years or so, it's been police, right? We've had all that's these, right. all these uh, uh, attempts to to monolith police as some kind of like violent hand of the state. And, and frankly, look, I've got issues with the way a lot of police handled the last two years and mandates and lockdowns and shit like that. But the reality of the situation is that 275 million interactions uh, between police and civilians a year in this country and less than, uh, less than a tenth of 1% end in any kind of negative way to include arrest even. Uh, yes. uh, so it, the reality of those situations aren't there. And then the last one is obviously masculinity itself. I mean, th- that is under attack. And, I, and I, when I see all these things <clears throat> uh, being attacked by a coordinated effort from multiple uh, places, my mind immediately thinks of what I would do if I was trying to isolate a group of people and mm-hmm. uh, attack their supply. You, you attack supply lines and shut them off, and then you attack their quick reaction force, the people that are going to come save them should anything go wrong, and then you launch your attack against them, right? So right. When, I see, when I see a population being stripped of its agency, of its critical thought, of the masculine energy that protects it, and then uh, rampant attempts to uh, disarm the population, my mm-hmm. brain only goes in one direction. Somebody's going to try to come start some shit at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the like your spider sense should be going off right now if you're out there in the universe, uh, especially here in America. We've seen it in Canada with them freezing bank accounts. And now they've got this journalism certification you have to get from the government. Otherwise, you don't get breaks like tax mm-hmm. breaks and stuff. And eventually mm-hmm. it'll be that you have to have that certification to. Well, it, it's already the, the it's already the case that you have to have this journalist uh, journalism certification to attend government functions. So you mm-hmm. can't report on parliament or the prime minister unless you are approved by the Canadian government. Now this is mm-hmm. just north of us right here in Canada, which we thought was a Republic democracy, blah, blah, blah as well. Clearly it's not, or clearly mm-hmm. all of these things are just one generation away from going away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist either. I'm a cynic. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways, but I'm definitely a skeptic on most stuff uh, because I just I want people to if you if you've got a theory, prove it, and we'll see if it's right or not. If it's unfalsifiable, then I'm not going to listen. If it's you know if it's crazy and there's no proof for it, I mean that it's interesting to speculate about, but I'm not going to give it a lot of my time. But this one seems pretty. It, it seems pretty linear, like you were saying. All these elements are kind of fitting into this uh, this puzzle. And, and it's alarming. It's very alarming. So what do you see, like from your, your position in academia, our position in media, what are we doing right now to, to battle this? Well, you know, the one other point I want to make is mm. to add to what you're saying, because you you're not a cynic, you're a realist, is mm. this, this move, this move to, to non-gender children in the schools, which is a way of... A, of, of appropriating children from their parents, mm-hmm. which is the biggest, one of the most heinous things that's happening where the public schools are taking children away from their parents by non-gendering them. That's, 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 that's a confiscation of parental rights, right? So you're neutering these children. You're basically neutering them by taking away their, 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 their biological identities. And uh, God knows what's going to happen to our military. If we have a bunch of neutered children, um, I I don't I think the, the I don't know that the media is doing anything and I want to say that I have a criticism as an independent conservative myself I have you know a lot of criticisms uh, the left are, the left is has won the culture wars and I want to say that conservatives really don't know how to fight culture wars they know how to, conservatives think that they can fight everything at the political level mm. we need to infiltrate Hollywood. We need to inf- infiltrate comedy. We need to inf- infiltrate the arts. Why is there no equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize in the conservative world mm-hmm. or the National Book Award or and the Nobel Prize? Mm-hmm. You know, I think conservatives have to sort of be more 
uh, multifaceted in this war and not just think that they can fight it on the political front. We have to be, we have to get into Netflix. We have to get into all spheres of life because people just don't live from the neck up. Mm. And one thing that the, the left is very, very clever at is learning how to fight the culture wars, right? So even in terms of my book, I have had conservatives say, we're not going to review the book because you need to tone it down. It's a little bit too radical. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Ibram Kendi comes up with a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist, Spewing Hatred Against America and, 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 and White People, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Nicole Hannah-Jones. And within five months, these people are famous. So conservatives, I think, have got to band closer together and learn that the attack against America is very, very real. Mm. And the way to fight it is not just in the political realm. It's also in the cultural realm. Uh, it's 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 strange because conservatives are seen in some sense in the public sphere as being warriors, but we're in, they're, not, they're not really warriors. They're lone wolves who sort of fight these battles piecemeal. And what we need is a comprehensive, integrated movement that where we can have reasonable disagreements among ourselves, but there are certain underlying foundational values that we agree upon and we steadfastly pursue those values the way the left right. disagree among certain things but but by god they're they want socialism and they're going to fight for socialism and they're going to squibble over certain things right. but but they know what they want and we have to know very clearly what our, our foundational values are and we can have we can have squabbles among ourselves but we 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 fight for those values i think conservatives get into too many piecemeal battles mm. and, and and fight too much among themselves about non-essentials or non-fundamentals sure yeah i mean it, well it's going to be difficult to organize a bunch of people that are uh, uh individualistic right i mean that's that's that, all, that's, that's, that's always going to be a problem it's always a problem but 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 we have we're i think we've un, underperceived the threat i think people like DeSantis knows the threat is mm-hmm. very you know there are lone lone warriors out there uh who who like he realized that the lockdowns for example just I think he knew that the lockdowns would not work. Right. Right. He went along with it because he, he pretty much had to. But we realized now that the lockdowns, we had lockdowns, they didn't work. Mm. Right. It's a bad idea. Crippled our economy and destroyed millions of lives economically. Um, so I think there are people who get, there are individuals who get certain things. Um, but I think that we have to ramp it up a little bit. That is, we have to sort of really be non-apologetic for American values and American exceptionalism and stop being apologists and stop ceding the moral argument to the left. I think the left wins. And that's why one of the reasons I wrote this book, because mm-hmm. I think there are still conservatives who think that, who buy this argument that, you know, I just did a debate at Colorado Christian University with a conservative, a white conservative, who is arguing that reparations are the Christian thing, is the Christian thing to do. And I, I said, you know, so we had this interesting debate, and he said, because somebody has to clean up the mess. He used the analogy that you gave. Right. And there were so many people in the audience who said, yes, we didn't, we person didn't create this mess, but it's a mess, and we have a, an obligation to do it. And um, so... In some sense, the, 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 the people on the right, such as myself, a, a moderately, not even a moderately, I'm just an independent conservative, mm-hmm. fiscally conservative, very fiscally conservative, um, need to sort of really spell out in ordinary language, especially to minorities, that they have conservative values, that if you believe in self-responsibility, self-accountability, that if you believe that your life and your destiny lie in your hands, that you're responsible for your life, the procreation, the reproductive choices that you make are yours and not mm-hmm. anybody else. That really tell people what conservative values are and that most people by that definition would be conservative. But I really think that this is another thing with conservatives is that they talk among themselves. And I'm very happy to be on your show. I've been mm-hmm. on a lot of pod- podcasts, but it's, but it's getting on like the big, big networks, you know, they, they, they talk among themselves and it's, it's, it's a small cadre of 
conservatives. I've been on Tucker a couple of times and, and Laura Ingram, but um, they really need to, to, to spread the message more in a much more down-to-earth manner to ordinary people. Mm. Um, I think they have sort of abandoned, uh, in the same way that Hillary called Trump supporters deplorables, I think a lot of conservatives have sort of abandoned reasonable people who, who want a narrative explained to them about what do conservative values consist in and can recognize themselves in that narrative. Um, I think that's the, that's the role that, that we sort of have sure. to play. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about uh, conservatives and media, but when's the last time you've been here since 85? I, I, don't, think, I don't think we've had a truly conservative president since you've been here. I mean, Trump to some degree, but certainly not George W. Bush. I mean, he presided over the largest expansion of federal government history. Uh, and, you know, uh, Reagan raised taxes in five out of the eight years he was in office and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it was, I mean, my, by my estimation, it was probably Eisenhower was our last, like, truly conservative president uh, that, that, that had a clearly delineated list of conservative ideals that he believed in, that he through his actions represented. That's what I mean when I say that. I, it's, mm-hmm. people, people call themselves one thing or another, but I feel like we're lacking in leadership in that position. Maybe a lot of it's probably due, due to the, the, uh, the group think that you're talking about, the, the uh, small amount of people who think they represent the entirety of the group. Uh, a lot of it's yes. probably out of fear. A lot of it's out of ignorance. Um, maybe some people feel the problem's too big to solve. Like, oh, we're never going to get black people to vote for conservatives so why even try like that's what, what kind of attitude is that you know what i mean like if yes. you're if you're intent on fixing the problem i i honestly believe <clears throat> that uh conservative economic principles are a much better opportunity to solve these issues than pretty much any other solution you're going to throw at anybody right i mean that's obviously right. just giving people a bunch of money is not going to do anything for right. for a million different reasons one that it would be a small amount of money anyways um, uh, two, just with the, like the time value of money, like p- people that are wealthy know one thing, equity is wealth. Ca- cash is nothing. Like we're, we have 8.5% inflation right now. The, the U S dollar is, is, is not where you want to invest your money. Right. So the idea of giving reparations, I mean, the 40 acres and a mule thing that made sense because that mm-hmm. gives you a, uh, it gives you property and it gives you a, a, an opportunity to build for yourself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's a very conservative principle. The, the homesteading and building something for yourself. Now you map that onto today's world and we're talking about, I don't know, building a small business in the digital market somewhere, right? Like that's, that's a, a very reasonable solution that mm-hmm. both that, that crowdsources, right? Because you're, 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 you're putting this, you're putting this person in a position where they can utilize the giant audience that we've all become, right? And you're also putting it in their hands. Like now you're, you will fail or succeed based on your own merit now. And that, mm-hmm. that's what the Constitution guarantees, not equity, certainly. That's right. That's right. That's well, right. And also one more thing is, you know, telling, convincing people why, especially in the black community, you know, not taxing them on that, in, having a politician or a set of politicians agree that, you know, not taxing people on the income that they would use to send their children to school as a way of just like getting rid of public education mm. in this country, abolishing the teachers' unions, explaining to the people why the unions are more invested in their own self-interest than in the interest of their students, of their children, right? Um, and just sort of explaining in very practical and real terms how taxing lower businesses is in the interest of the average American citizen because it opens up pathways towards employment. Mm. But, but we have politicians who are really screaming at each other rather than sort of creating these narratives and going around and having town hall meetings with ordinary citizens explaining how these policies these conservative policies are rather in their rational, economic, and ultimately spiritual well-being. That's the legwork that needs to be done. I mean, that's part of what I try to do with my articles that I write, you know, for a larger audience. Well, it's good work you're doing. Uh, so thank you for coming today. We've got to wrap this up. Um, make sure you go check out uh, uh, Jason D. Hill, 
DePaul University. Uh, check out his uh, Twitter and uh, get the new book. It's on pre-order now. What do white Americans owe black people? Racial justice in the age of post-oppression. Uh, thank you a lot for coming today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's yes, my sir. pleasure. All right. Thank have you. a good day. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.